0: So, you know, we have a mission here at LifePoint. We talk about it a lot. We've been saying it more and more. We want it to get in your brain over and over and over. What's our mission? Our mission is pointing people to life in Jesus. And it's built on John 10:10, 10, because 10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, have life to the fullest, have life abundantly. And you're going to experience that incredible life Jesus has for you when you start introducing people to Jesus and sharing Jesus with people you know, and when you decide that, hey, I want to grow in my relationship with God, and you pursue that, and you're going to experience that life to the fullest when you purposefully connect with other believers. And finally, one of the greatest ways that you can experience life to the fullest in Jesus is when you say, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to serve others. It's an amazing life that Jesus has for you and I. And I encourage you to pursue that with everything you have, especially knowing that Jesus also said in that same verse is that there's someone here, he's called the thief and he's an enemy and he wants to steal, kill and destroy. Everything that God wants to do in your life, this thief that we've been talking about, this enemy, he has different names in the Bible. And so we kind of just been flowing in and out using the different names. He's called Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called the devil. He's called the deceiver, the the accuser, the father of lies, the prince of darkness. And he hates you. He hates God, which is why the apostle Paul is telling us and reminding us. And we kick off with this every week because we want this to get inside of you to be thinking about what Scripture says, because it tells you and I we're in a battle. Ephesians 6:12 says we are not battling against flesh and blood, but our battle is against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. It's what's going on behind the scenes. That's where our real battle is. And we are fighting against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. His mission, this evil one, this Satan loose for the devil, his mission is to come against you, to come against the people of God. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. It says, Stay alert. In other words, always be on your guard. Notice what he says in that verse. You can check it out there. It says, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to what? Looking for someone to devour. Now, I just want to point out as you look at that verse right there, the devil is compared to an animal from the evil cat family. So I want to make sure you saw that there. Feel free to write me your rebuttal. But I mean, cats, man, they're just like pure evil, aren't they? I mean, come on, let's just be real here for a second. They roam wherever they want. They have no, they can just go wherever they want. They're always in my yard leaving their deposits that I have to take care of and clean up and you know, every t- And by the way, they're just evil, man. I mean, I mean, I'm in my room, and I'm like, man, I wish I could reference to some my safe from a previous sermon, right? And and I'm like, but there's windows and there's glass, and he just looks at, they just look at you, because they know if I try to do something, he's going to take off, and pure evil, and I have to suffer because of them. All right, our enemy, this roaring lion is looking to devour us. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill our peace. He wants to destroy your contentment in Jesus. You need to understand he is attacking you every single day. In different ways. He'll attack your finances. He'll attack your friendships. He'll attack your physical body, your marriage, your spiritual life. He's attacking you and trying to rob you of God's blessings and what God wants to actually do in your lives. And so we discovered a couple weeks ago, he's a deceiver who's going to attack your mind with lies. He's going to attack your mind with lies. And last week we saw that he's an accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. If you've missed any of those messages, you need to go listen or watch online. This week may be even a little more difficult or challenging for us to hear. Because we're going to hear today and understand that this devil, Satan, is the destroyer who attacks or targets your will with pride. He's the destroyer who's going to attack your will with pride. Now, what we need to understand is that the devil will certainly attack you when you're weak, when you're down, and when you're vulnerable. He'll attack you then. But you also need to understand this, is that he loves to attack you when you're strong. He loves to attack you when things are going well, when things are going good. Some of you right now, let's just be real, you're in a season right now where things are going pretty well, right? I mean, it's not that bad for you. You don't have a ton to worry about right now. Right now, for some of you, you know, the job is basically solid and it's kind of secure. Your 401 is rebounded and it's it's growing again. You're giving your tithes to God. You're you're serving. You're helping others. You don't have any real issues at the moment with your neighbors or your family or your friends. For some of you, the reality is, you know, life's pretty good right now. There's not a ton to worry about. You need to understand when things are going well, it's actually a time when you're more vulnerable. Why is that? Because that's when you and I are least aware. That's when you and I are not realizing that the enemy's working hard and preparing and doing things so that he can attack you. No one ever comes to me. I want you to think about this. No one ever comes to me and say, hey pastor, I really need to meet with you. I really wanna come and sit in your office and talk with you because my life is amazing and I need a pastor. That just doesn't happen. People come to me when things aren't good, when they know they're because when things aren't good in your life and you're and there's a lot of issues going on, you know there's a struggle, right? You know there's a battle going on. You understand what I'm saying? You know that the devil will kick you when you're down and you already know that. But he'll also attack you when things are going okay, when things are going well. So what I want to do today is I want to look at an Old Testament story that that I suspect most a lot of us, maybe some of us, might not be aware of, you might not be familiar with. And it's a time when Satan strategically attacked King David. And he didn't attack David when he was discouraged, but instead he attacks David at the height of his power and at the height of his popularity. He attacked David when things were going great. So let me give you a little background to kind of set this up for us this morning. In fact, if you want, you can turn already right now, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, or, or, or uh, go on your, on your phone, and we'll get there eventually. But let me give you 1 Qu- Chronicles 21. Let me give you a, some background. We First to learn about David, when, he, when he's just an ordinary little shepherd boy, and, and he's tending his sheep, but his brothers are, are off to war, and, and, and they're fighting a, the Philistines, and specifically they're fighting a Philistine giant named Goliath. And Goliath was kicking all their butts, and and the soldiers, you know, they were just struggling with it. Well, David uh, decides one day to bring his his brothers some food and take care of them because, you know, military food wasn't that great for them. And so he goes, I'm going to help them out. And so he goes out there, and he gets there, and he sees the army cowering and this this Philistine giant named Goliath. And David looks at all the soldiers, he's like, man, you guys are a bunch of wimps. God's on our side isn't anybody going to do anything? And looking around, no one's like, no, we're not taking them on. David's like, fine, God's on our side. I'll go take him out. And, and I'm sure you know the story. He ends up taking out the giant Goliath, and then suddenly overnight, he's thrust into the limelight. I mean, his social media accounts are blowing up, right? I mean, they really are. He's trending. It's like David kills Goliath. It's gone viral, you know, and it's just, I mean, he's, he's killing it. Later, He's anointed as the king of Israel. And eventually he rises to the height of power. He's a war hero. He'd go out and and he would fight with his mighty men. And he would come home and he would return victorious. In fact, he was so popular. I want you to imagine this. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel, it tells us that women wrote songs about David. They would gather in the streets and they would sing songs about him. And I gotta tell you, My wife, Heather, has yet to write a song about my power and my glory and my strength. But you never know, right? I mean, she's in here and she hears me preaching and she's just like blown away. And I drive home and I pull into their garage and there she'll be waiting, ready to declare her love and honor and respect for my godliness and power and strength and whatever else turns her on, right? And she'll just sing these songs to me. Come on, can a guy dream? <laughs> so they're singing about David. I mean, he's at the height of his game, but he stumbles. And he stumbles, not because he was weak or vulnerable. He stumbles because he was strong. Now, if you and I were to take a poll and, and, and ask what was great, David's greatest sin... I think a lot of us might say, well, you know, David's greatest sin was his adultery with Bathsheba. And then some of you might say, well, you might know a little more about the story and you might say, well, maybe his greater sin was murdering Uriah, her husband. And, And maybe you know that story. After he committed adultery, he then had him murdered by sending him to the front line so that he would die. Because of David's adultery, Four people indirectly died. The little baby died, if you know the story. Amnon died, Absalom died, and of course Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was killed. Four people died. Perhaps a root sin that led David to adultery and eventually led to murder is the same root sin that you and I deal with. What led to that murder? What led to that and someone just said it right here. It was the root sin of pride. The root sin of pride. In fact, because of his filthy, horrendous sin of pride that was in his life, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 14 tells us, are you ready for this? It tells us 70,000 people lost their lives. I want you to think about that. Because of his pride, 70,000 people lost their lives, which of course, you think about 70,000 people dying, think about the devastating impact that that now has on probably hundreds of thousands of people, the families of those who were involved, all because of David's pride. You see, the devil doesn't just attack you when you're weak. He attacks you when you're strong. He attacks us when we're proud. So let's pick up the story, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, and it says in verse one, it says this. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel, excuse me. Take a census of Israel. Satan came at David when he was confident, when he was strong, when he was at the top of his game, when he was winning battles and Satan comes up to him and he says, man, you're pretty powerful, aren't you, David? I mean, David, you're you're amazing. You're an amazing king. You've conquered kingdoms. Now you have all these people, and they're all under your command. David, you know what? You should total them up. You should find out and see just how strong and how powerful you are. David, come on. Seriously, I mean, you're you're a leader. Use some wisdom here. You don't want to just guess about your domination and strength. David, you're a mighty warrior. You're worthy of honor. I mean, God chose you. He chose you over that person, Saul. So David, just how worthy are you? You need to count up the people and let's see. You see, that's what he does. He speaks lies to us. Why? Is it because he's on our side? No, 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 no. He speaks lies to us because he wants to destroy us. And when you and I allow the lies to speak louder than the truth into our lives, it leads to our destruction and to the destruction of others. Now, let's back up for a second. He incited him to take a census. Some of you thinking, is that really wrong to take a census? I mean, what's the big deal? No, actually, it's not wrong to take a census. What's wrong was the motive behind the census because motives matter to God. Taking a, a census isn't really that big of a deal. In fact, if you look in the Bible in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, it tells us that Moses took a census. But behind the, the, the motive behind the census was, for Moses, it was just entirely different. Moses took a, se- a census, uh, maybe you don't know the story, Moses took a census that every man over the age of 20 was to give a half shekel um, as an offering specifically to God. And it was known as atonement money. See, Moses wanted to count up the total amount of people that God had rescued, that God had redeemed from bondage with with, with the Egyptians. And the census was given so that people can give an offering so that God could get the glory. They wanted to praise God for how many people that God had set free. So with Moses, the goal of the census was to give honor to God. With David, the goal of the census was to bring honor to himself. And that was disgusting in the eyes of God. Moses's focus was on God. David's focus was on himself. To which some of us say, well, well, you know, my focus is on God and I and I give God the glory. It's not about me. You need to understand that's the devil trying to lie to you, trying to deceive you. You're coaching your seven or nine or 11 year old and In baseball, for example. And, you know, you hear, well, the regular season doesn't matter. You know, the only thing that really matters is the playoffs. But you know you're coaching every game to win every game. You don't tell anybody. But inside, there's something that says, I'm going to win every game. What is that? That's pride, right? You say, and not that I ever thought this. But that kid who, played, who should be in right field that you're like, I know he should bat first for one game. I know he should play shortstop for one game. And you're hoping and praying he doesn't show up in the playoffs. You're like, Chris, really? You thought that? Come on, some of you right now, be honest. Have you ever hoped the kid, don't raise your hand, you ever hope someone doesn't show up for a key game? What is that? What is that? It's pride. It's pride. You and another person are neck and neck in sales at work. And you find out that you just beat them out. And, you know, you start doing the sales party dance, whatever that looks like. (laughs) And now you get to celebrate with the company as, as you're rewarded and get to head off to, you know, Hawaii or something to get the prize. And you're thinking, I did it, I did it. And pride creeps into that. You have a group project, whether at work or school. And you did all the work, most of the work. But it turns out the teacher or the boss or whoever or other people are giving someone else the credit. You find out and the word's gotten out that it was them. And now you do what you can to maybe get the word out that it was really your effort. You are the impetus behind that. You are the one who made it happen. You are the one who came up with the idea. You're the one who pushed the initiative forward. You're the one who did the work. What is that? It's pride. Look at me and what I've done and what I've accomplished. I should get a little recognition. Now, I know I don't think anyone here is walking around saying I should get the glory. I don't necessarily think we use those words. But we say, hey, I want a little something that should come to me. That's called pride. And it's disgusting to the Lord. And that's what David's issue was. And by the way, others could see it in David's life. We talk, we say this phrase all the time. It's difficult to see it in the mirror. You've heard that around here. If you've been here for any length of time, whatever it is, you know, it's very difficult to see pride in the mirror. Very easy to see it in others. Oh, that person's full of pride. They don't even know it. And we could point it out in others, but it's difficult to see in ourselves. Joab saw it. It was easy for him to see it in David. Joab was a loyal guide to David, he was a commander of the troops. And he could very clearly see David's pride. So Satan tries to get uh, David to, lo- to take a census and be filled with pride. The story continues. Let's pick it up in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. And it says this about Joab. He could see the pride in David's life. Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering. In other words, I'm doing the counting. I have to. He's telling me I have to do this. But you know what? I'm going to leave these guys out. They're not going to be a part of this. Why? Notice what it says. Because the king's command was repulsive to him. Job was like, man, David, I see your pride. I see it, and I'm going to honor these people. I'm going to keep them out of it. The verse continues. Notice what it says. This command was also evil in the sight of God. So notice what God does. God punished Israel. And if you read through it, you see the heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin of pride. Satan used David's sin of pride to destroy David and to destroy others that's what he does he wants to destroy you and he wants to destroy others and I want you to think about something adultery's pretty bad right but pride probably caused it I'm the king of Israel and I see that that woman and she looks good and I want her in fact you know what I'm the king I've done all this I deserve it David committed the sin of adultery and when he did, he said this to Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. But you know, when David finally realized he committed the sin of pride, he didn't just say, I sinned against the Lord. He said in 1 Chronicles, look at 21, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 8. Look at verse 8. He said this, I have sinned. And what's the word he adds? I have sinned what? I have sinned greatly by doing this. It's the deadly sin of pride. So, I hope you take notes I hope you do it every week but if you're not taking notes maybe this is one of those ones you jot down or you know send a you know a text to yourself or an email to yourself to remember this one write this down you may never be more vulnerable than when you're full of pride the enemy is attacking you and he wants to attack and one of the greatest ways he can attack your life and when you're most vulnerable is when there's pride in your life and you're full of pride and when I'm full of pride Some of us right now, we're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And the reason is because you, me, we don't realize how much pride just might be in our life. Listen, pride creeps up on us. It just creeps. For example, Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament. And he rose to fame and greatness and power because he had this innovative war idea. But then pride took him out what the bible says second chronicles chapter 26 verse 16 said but after uzziah became powerful what happened after uzziah became powerful what happened his what his his what his pride led to his downfall pride will take you out it'll take you out of leadership pride will take away your credibility Pride will hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride destroys your credibility of sharing your faith and your testimony and your witness. Pride took David down, and the devil used it. And he used it to hurt and ultimately destroy David and to destroy others. The devil uses pride to destroy us. And the reality is he uses it in a lot of our lives. In fact, I think I can prove it to us. Uh, There I would imagine many of us here, if you got real, I I talked to enough of you to know that there's a lot of people in this room where if you're willing to be real, you know your marriage is struggling and you have some serious issues. And the most important first step is for you to go to your spouse and say, listen, I apologize and I am sorry and I want to make this right and I want to take ownership So after this message, I want to encourage you, you go and you say that to your spouse. You say, we're going right after this and we're heading out and I'm going to sit and we're going to talk. And I want you to go say, I'm sorry. And I want you to apologize. and I want you to humble yourself and truly say it and mean it and start down the road to recovery. There's your assignment. Guess what? I know most of us won't do it. Why? Because in your mind, you say, well, I've been hurt. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. My pain is too great. In other words, our pride prevents us from humbling ourselves to do the right thing. It's one example. You can use it with friends. You can use it with other family members. You can use that with a situation at work. What prevents us from taking that step is our pride. Here's the problem with pride, though. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. Pride precedes a what? Pride precedes a disaster. And an arrogant attitude precedes a fall. The disaster's coming for some of you. The fall is coming, and whether it's a marriage or another important relationship you have or something related to a position at work or in school or or with a company or our company or our finances, how about this one? Well, I know I've I've got a problem, but I can't tell anybody about it because of my situation or my position or my reputation. I know I have a problem, but I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. What is that? It's us listening to the lies of the devil. That's pride. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm the one doing everything here. It's not my fault. Don't tell me that that you're participating. I'm doing everything. I'm making the effort in this project, in this situation, in this relationship. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Pride, pride, pride. It's disgusting to God. And the devil uses that to destroy us and destroy others around us. Don't miss it. You're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Now, how does God feel about pride, by the way? Bible tells us, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says this, James chapter 4, verse 6, he said, God opposes the proud. That word opposes is a military term, and it means this. It means to bring the full force of an army. In other words, it, when, when you and I are like, hey, I, you know, I deserve glory, or I, you know, I'm something, I'm special, or we start getting full of pride we take really away the honor and glory for God, from God, God has every bit of his power poised against you, is what this verse says. God opposes the, the proud. He brings the full force of an army, which God's army you know, pretty incredible, right? But shows favor to the humble. He says in verse 7, James chapter 4, submit yourself another military term it means to voluntarily rank under to choose to submit yourself to the one that ranks higher than you and who ranks higher than us the lord i choose to voluntarily submit to god god opposes the proud the verse says it shows favor to the humble it goes on it says submit yourself rank under voluntarily submit submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you don't miss this church If you and I will submit to God, this verse is telling us that we have then the power of God, we have the presence of God, and we have the strength of God. If we submit to God, if we humble ourselves and wipe away that pride, this tells us this is how we're able to stand up and fight and resist the devil. And that's when he says, "I'm." that's when he leaves. You're like, why do I constantly just, it just never ends, it never ends. I ask the question, is it because we're full of pride? You resist the devil and he'll f- flee from you, not because you're strong, but because the power of God that is in you is stronger than the evil one. So we submit to God, humble ourselves, and the strength of God will help us resist him. And to stand firm and to fight in this bow- battle, the devil will f- flee. It goes on and says, James chapter 4, verse 8, Come near to God. And he, God, will come near to you. And so we've used this word quite a bit. Look at what verse 10 says. James 4, it says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. There's no middle ground here, church. It's a battle between heaven and hell. Light and dark. Righteousness and unrighteousness. The power of good versus the forces of evil. There's no middle ground. We don't kind of love God. We don't sort of follow Jesus. James chapter four, verse four said that friendship with this world is actually hatred towards God. And so that's why you and I submit. And that's why we voluntarily, you know, rank ourselves under. We say, God, your word is our guide. God, your spirit empowers us. God, your will is what I want. God, we submit to you. And when we do that, when we submit to God in that way, then the devil flees. We can resist him. You never are more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Because pride is essentially declaring our independence from God. God, I don't need you. God, I got this situation. God, I can handle this circumstance at work, in my family, at school, at church, with this relationship. But humility is declaring our complete dependence upon God. God, I need you every moment in every circumstance, in every situation. God, I want you to be my God. I want you to direct me. I want your spirit to confront me and convict me and comfort me and encourage me. God, I need you for my next breath. God, I need you for my next decision. Why? Why do you think God opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full force of everything he has against those who are prideful? Why is this so important? Well, it's very likely, if you go back before the beginning of time, we have the story in the Bible that talks about the creation of this, this angel called Lucifer. And God loved him, but he battled with the root sin of pride, and that's what took him down. Isaiah chapter 14, if you want to read that this week, uh, verses 12 through 14, it talks about Lucifer and how he was full of pride and he wanted to be like God. And so he made five I will statements, five I will statements in that. And and, and they were this. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. That's pride. I will raise my throne above the stars. That's Lucifer saying that. That's pride. He said this, I will sit enthroned on the amount of assembly. In other words, that's pride. I want to sit on God's throne. He said this, I will ascend to the top of the clouds. That's pride. And then he said this. He was like, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Here's what I want. And he said this in Isaiah chapter 14. I will make myself like the most high. That was pride. Lucifer was all about himself and bringing glory to himself. And let's contrast this for a moment. Jesus was all about doing what? He was all about bringing glory to God. Lucifer was all about saying, my will. Jesus was all about saying to God, thy will. You know the story, right? Some of you know the story. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows what's coming. That, and he's going to be beaten and tortured and, and, and crucified in ways that you and I can't possibly imagine. He's going to give his life for you and I on a cross so that we can live. And the Bible tells us he's there in the garden and in an agony He he just pours out drops of blood from his brow and he cried out to God in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He said, if there's any way, God, you can take what's coming to me, the suffering, this cup of suffering, if there's any way you could take it away, I would love for you to do that. That was that human side of Jesus. But then in submission to God, in other words, he said, I voluntarily rank myself under you. I know I really want this cup of suffering to be removed. But then he said to God, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. I'm here, God, to glorify you. It's not about my importance. It's not about my popularity. It's about your kingdom. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes, God. It's about what do you want in my life? Not my will, but yours be done. Satan wants you and I to say, I will, my will. God wants you and I to glorify him by saying, God, your will, thy will be done. Humility isn't weakness. Humility is not weakness. When you're humble, you have the strength of God. And the reality is, for you and I, we are weakest when we're full of pride, but we are never stronger. Then when we humble ourselves before almighty God, then you have the power to resist the evil one to tell him not today. We're in a spiritual battle. It's not if we're in a spiritual battle. It's not when we're in a spiritual battle. We're in it right now. And you just need to know you don't have what it takes to win on your own. You need God. It's our only chance in this battle. That's why we're never stronger than we're more humble before God and we're, we're dependent on Him. When we're weak, the Bible says that's when we're strong. Would you be willing? Would you actually be willing today to be courageous enough to ask God for help? To call upon his name. You don't have what it takes. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. We weren't designed or designed to do it on our own. We're designed to need him. And by the way, we're designed to need his people. So once again, James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Would you be willing to humble yourself now and ask God for help? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you now. Hear our prayers. And right where you're sitting, I'm going to ask you. Would you be willing right now to humble yourself before God? In what area of your life do you need to come before God right now and humble yourself? What one area you know? Would you bring that to God right now? Would you be courageous in that? And ask for God's strength. Tell the Lord, God, I, I don't want the devil to have a foothold anymore. Confess your sin to him, he'll lift you up. God, hear these prayers of humble submission. God, this devil, this evil one, he tries to destroy us and everyone we have contact with through our pride. And so, God, we come before you humbly, acknowledging our need for you. And so we lean on you and we trust in you and we lean not on our own understanding. So we acknowledge you, God. We acknowledge your leadership in our life, your authority in our life. And God, I pray you'd even give us the courage today to take steps, not just to get right with you, but to get right with others. So God, would you lead people today to leave this place? Not on a human level, because on a human level, we'll be too full of pride, and Satan loves that. But lead us, Lord, to go take those steps to restore and reconcile in ways that you're calling us to. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and God, as we come to give you this offering, would you use it for your glory so that more and more people would come to know Jesus and receive life in Jesus, and then once we do, Lord, that we could grow up and be rooted in you and grow in our faith. So God, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.